station, but we're here for a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. I'm your host, Tim Wick, joined, as always, by my co-host, movie goddess, <laughs> Melissa Kersher. <laughs> it's taken this long to get to goddess, but well, uh, you I'm, know, I'm, I'm I, good with it. I'm I, good I, with I it. I was about to say, are you disappointed? <laughs> no, I'm not disappointed. I'm just amused that it took and so long. <laughs> movie not-so-goddess, Jenna. <laughs> so we are here today to watch... The General. And as always, we have to begin with Jenna, who knows nothing about movies, telling us what she doesn't know or theoretically does know about The General. Okay, it's a Buster Keaton film. It's a silent film. Uh, it was made, and I'm, I'm taking all of this from things that you guys have said. Oh, uh, she listened. God so, damn it. What? <laughs> like, I'm learning things. Uh, it was made towards the end of the silent movie era. Um... And it has something to do with uh, a general. A general. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I think it's like a, there's there's a war and like the slapstickiness ensues. Okay. Uh, also, <laughs> slapstickiness. Because war is hilarious. Slapstickiness is a brand new word. We need um, to come up with a real education glossary and slap <laughs> slapstickiness will go right in there. Um, I, I, I want to say there's a romance. Uh. Okay, okay, so did you j- just was was the romance like a total shot in the dark? You're just guessing, or I, I'm guessing. Okay, I, I, well, I, I mean it's fair. There's maybe no... I mean there might be oh, something yeah. way back in the subconscious. That okay, there's romance, no harm in guessing. I want to say that there's a romance. Okay, all right. So okay, so uh, yes, it is a silent film. This will be the first silent film that we have done. Uh, as we we did a, we did the Charlie Chaplin movie Modern yes. Times, but that was actually not a silent film. Right. So this is our first true silent film that we've done on Real Education. Mm-hmm. Only took us about a year. Um, <laughs> took us, a, eh, yeah. You know. And yes, it features Buster Keaton, who uh, some movie fans feel one needs to choose between Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, especially since Harold Lloyd is out there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and then there, then there, there was like, shut up about Keaton, Keaton and Chaplin. It's Harold Lloyd, which so which Harold is Lloyd really is like the the Linux of. Yes, <laughs> Harold Lloyd is totally the Linux. No, I think Harold the, Lloyd. The Harold Lloyd is the Fight Club. Yes, of, actually, he of is. the the silent era comedian actors. <laughs> Because, you know, yeah. there's always the 1990, 1999 whenever it was like, screw the Matrix, Fight Club rules! So, <laughs> so that's, that's Harold Lloyd is Fight Club. Yeah, the, well, I, I was thinking about this today. I think um, Charlie Chaplin is like a b- ballet dancer, you know, when it comes to his comedy. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very graceful. It's kind of it, graceful, it's kind of high art, um, kind of high-minded. Buster Keaton is like a kung fu artist, as you will see. He he's um, he he engineers gags like nobody else, and he's very very physical uh, okay. with his stunts. To, to use and another analogy, one might say that uh, Buster Keaton is more the Gene Kelly, and Charlie Chaplin is more the Fred Astaire. Yes, and then um, we, we then I've seen both Harold, of those. yeah, and then Harold <laughs> Lloyd is more um, kind of like a really good barroom brawler. <laughs> Perhaps a Jason Statham. <laughs> ah, Jason Statham. Yeah, so it's uh, he, he's kind of an everyman. But anyway, so we've got we've got Buster Keaton tonight, and In what yeah. is his kind of. Seminal film. Yes, his favorite film. 
yeah. as he proclaimed for many years that this was the of all the movies he made this was his favorite he made about 46 movies most of them shorts um, he he worked many years from uh, he got started about 1917 and then up until about 1923 he was making short films and then from 1923 to 1929 he was making feature length movies and everything he turned out was gold huh. And the general is right in the middle of that era. And this okay. is just yes. maybe slightly more gold yes. than everything else he was turning out at the time. Yes, and then then when he went into the 1930s, um, somebody had convinced him to sell the rights to his stuff to MGM. And unfortunately, that meant he he passed away in the mid-60s, mostly penniless, Aww. because um, he didn't retain the rights to these amazing movies. <sighs> Yeah, so that's a sad story about yes. Buster Keaton. Uh, We're going to start this whole thing on a downer. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but his stuff is the, amazing. the slapstickiness will, will bring Well, well to, to bring it back up, a reason most of these, well, at least many of these movies still exist is because in 1952, James Mason bought the Buster Keaton's old house. And James Mason found in the house a number of film prints that were considered to be lost movies at the time oh. that were Buster Keaton's and James Mason took it upon himself to have them preserved and restored so a lot of the reason we have most of Buster Keaton's movies today is because of James Mason so yeah. hooray for James Mason now yes. uh, quick trivia before we break to go see the movie we have seen a movie with Buster Keaton in it we on have. a real education Jenna do you know what movie that was just wondering oh god um, I do not. Okay. It was Sunset Boulevard. Buster Keaton oh. had a cameo. Yes. In Sunset Boulevard playing himself. Yes. Playing <laughs> Bridge. Yes. So playing, that a, makes sense. Yeah, playing yeah. a washed up silent film star. So yes. I remember that we are going to take a break and go and watch uh, The General starring Buster Keaton. And then we will return in a flash to talk about it. Well, General Taylor, he's all the go. Walk him along, John, carry him along. He's gone where the stormy winds won't blow. Carry him to his burying ground. And we are back. And once again, uh, we here at A Real Education have destroyed a train. <laughs> <laughs> it's what, three? So is it three? Like three? It's Bridge on the River Kwai. And this one, what are you thinking the third one is? Uh, well, we've watched Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, that's right. And there is a yeah. train destruction. Yeah, in but in, the, in this movie, again, as in Bridge on the River Kwai, the train was actually driven onto a bridge and crashed into the river. Yes. Yes. Real so. train going into the river where it stayed for like two decades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, finally when World War II came around, they disassembled it. Right. <laughs> Ooh, we need iron. So, yeah. okay. Uh, Jenna, you yes. have now seen The General, your first Buster Keaton movie. What did you think? I loved it. Um, I, I really enjoyed Buster Keaton. Um, like a lot, like the 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 storyline itself was fantastic. Mm -hmm. Like he never went too um, incredibly like off the storyline, but there was a lot of, of of side stuff, and all of his side stuff really seemed to fit into the storyline, as opposed mm -hmm. to like I'm gonna go off on this tangent. Um, and yeah, it was it was I really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it's. Uh well, again, as we said in the introduction, kind of the seminal Buster Keaton film. Yep. Uh, it is interesting in that uh, it is a story with a Confederate protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
And I, I've never f- quite figured that out, why this movie has a Confederate protagonist. Um, Buster Keaton was born in Kansas, so it's not like he was born in the Deep South or anything. It's... I... My, my only... I've never heard any reason for why it was set on the south side of the war. Um, he does have another movie from this six-year period called Our Hospitality, which was also set in the antebellum south. So my only guess is that there was some sort of fascination with the culture. Could be. Uh, the other thing that's interesting, that that's possible, mm-hmm. and I mean, obviously, I guess you kind of have to theorize, but the the framework of the story is based on a real event. Yeah, and the and the, the real event is the Union soldiers stealing a train going across to southern lines and destroying their telegraph system along the way. And the Union soldiers were captured and hanged as spies. Oh. And, right. you know, posthumously I mean, yeah. awarded the Medal of Honor for so, bravery. So, so you start with that framework of a story and, I mean, it's always possible that he said, well, the story is the northern soldiers coming to the south so i guess that this needs to be a confederate protagonist now i wonder if our surprise about that has more to do with the period in which we're watching it rather than the period in which it was made yeah it could be i mean at the time this was made there were people still alive there were veterans of the civil war still alive i mean it was as distant from him as we are from Vietnam right now, yeah, hmm. roughly, a little more, but a little, little, yeah. but 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 yes, there were there and uh, through the lens of that, it's entirely possible that that there was less of a antagonistic view of the South that I think a lot a lot of people have now. Sure. Well, yeah, uh-huh. and and you know, civil rights has come a lot long way since then. Yeah. So I think we've gotten. It's become so polarized for us because this was the war against slavery, whereas I don't think well, it was necessarily so much seen as that back. Then. I I definitely think there's something to the whole. There were people still alive because yeah, it's it's harder to, uh, uh. uh Polarized might be the right word, but but to to conceptualize somebody as the enemy when you can see them in the face, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to you know, now they were just I mean they're dead, yeah. So they were the enemy, and screw it, it's mm-hmm. you know. And the film takes no political stance. I mean, quite frankly, the 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 colors of the uniforms are really the only way that you can tell who the North and the uh, South are. And fancy are mustaches. The, fa- the Yes, the, the yeah. fancy mustaches. The, the, the big mustaches. I'm old uh, and distinguished, and that's how you know I'm a general from the South. Yeah. You know? Um, they, they did have... That, this, the South did have the mustaches, and they did. the North did seem much more clean-shaped. North, no, wow, the North had more sideburns. The North, oh, the, the North was oh, yeah. very much into sideburns yeah. at the time. Very hipster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we've still got that going. Stupid so, hipsters union. Um, uh, yeah. So, so it doesn't. It does. You know, you never see slaves. There's no that th- that in that sense, the movie is literally whitewashed. Yeah, uh, yeah. and it's really just about this character, Johnny was Johnny's Gray. Johnny, Johnny Gray. Gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> then he yeah. tries to be William Brown. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Johnny Gray and and his sort of. Getting thrust into the middle yeah. of the war. Yeah. I, I wonder if if 
the South was chosen to be the protagonist here just because it's an underdog story. Could be. And, I mean, obviously, you know, with the benefit of history, we can see that the South definitely was on the losing end of that stick. So maybe it was simply the stronger dramatic choice to have the lone person be placed on the losing side of the war. Entirely possible. Uh, Now, I think the thing that we, we talked about when we were watching the film is, you know, the... All the stunts that Buster Keaton is doing, he's doing himself. Yeah. And he's doing really insanely crazy stuff. I and mean, one of the things that always gets me is when he's riding on the front of the train. Yes. And he's holding the railroad tie, and there's another railroad tie. Yeah. And he throws that railroad tie and perfectly hits the other one so it flies away. But, I mean, if you watch that shot, you will see how close that second railroad tie comes Mm -hmm. to smacking Keaton in the face. Yeah. And if he doesn't make the throw just right, the train's going to hit the railroad tie. Mm -hmm. Now, the train's probably not going that fast, but he still might get thrown and injured. Yet he does just incredible... And then one where he leaps over the fire... And yes, fall and through the bridge the, on the other side. The now, or now, or the, even just the throwaway stuff, like when he's scrambling around the train while it's moving, you know, just like leaping over an entire car to get into the yeah. into the engine. I mean, there. I mean, they. You don't even. It, it's kind of a throwaway shot, but when you think about what he just did, it's like that's like a. 15, 20 foot leap over pieces of wood. And he just yes. does it. Yeah. You, you watch him and you go, wow, this guy must have been incredibly strong when he's picking up these pieces mm-hmm. of wood and tossing them onto the train and over the train. And he's doing it really quickly. It's not like he's stopping to take a breath. He's just going, grabbing one, tossing it onto the train. And they're falling off the train, again, nearly hitting him. It's not like you can choreograph where these pieces of lumber are going to end up. Mm-hmm. And it, it, his commitment to all of this is really remarkable. And you, try and imagine a film today with even somebody like we mentioned Jason Statham earlier, who does a lot of his own fight choreography and stunts, but mm-hmm. now can you imagine Jason Statham sitting on the front of a train and yeah. throwing a railroad tie? <laughs> and they, this studio would never let him do that. Well, never. The, the interesting thing I, I find about The General is having watched pretty much all the the all of Keaton's feature-length films, it's interesting how low-key The General is in terms of his stunts. Because... His other films are even crazier in the terms of what he can physically do. And um, it, it it's just astounding the things that that man would put himself through to do a gag. And he wasn't only doing his own stunts. He was doing the stunts for other people. So when you see other actors uh, doing crazy things on screen, too, a lot of times he was doubling for them. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. There, it, there's even a, this legendary story where um, when he was making Sherlock Jr., which is my personal favorite of all the Buster Keaton feature films, um, he's doing yet another train gag, but he, he, he fell while this big torrent of water was falling on him because he was at like the watering station for the steam train. Sure. And he falls on the tracks and several years later he was in in at the doctor's office getting checked out for some other injury he inflicted upon himself. And the doctor said, 
did you know you have a broken neck? And he went, well, no. <laughs> and huh. apparently they, they traced it back and it was that stunt in Sherlock Jr. where oh he, my God. he broke his neck and just... Holy crap. Orked it off or... Probably hurt. Off. He was like, whatever. Yeah, I've whatever. Done pain you can't, a broken neck does not stop. Yeah, maybe Jackie Chan is the more appropriate comparison for both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I kind of think so. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you're probably Jackie right. Jackie Chan about does crazy, stupid yeah. shit. Yeah. I, I think I think Buster Keaton also the uh, the the scene in the general where he takes he scambles down that twenty foot cliff to yeah. meet the train. Yeah. And, <laughs> so, and then the train backs goes, up. Backs yeah. up and I think he also grievously injured himself doing that stunt as huh. well. But, yeah, know, he he didn't have just... a lot of respect for his own body. <laughs> a lot of stunt people don't. No, well, <laughs> yeah. I've met a few. Yeah. They're, they're not. Yeah, yeah and whatever. he was—he's part of that. Yeah, you know, if you're talking about the auteur theory of, of movie making, you know, Buster Keaton is one of those great examples where he was making his own films. Oh yeah. Uh, he, Although I mean, I mean, he was. This was under a. He was working for a studio on these, but yeah, he pretty much had current Blanche to do just about whatever he wanted. Nice. That that train falling off the the bridge into the river stunt was the most expensive scene ever filmed, up to that point in time. Wow. And they, it, they it, let I him mean, do it, it because they could. They, at the time, Buster Keaton is a marquee name. He's mm-hmm. going to make the money back. Um, I don't know. I was trying to look up to see how successful or unsuccessful this film was. And I didn't see anything. So my feeling is the film was very successful at the time it was, it was yeah, released. Yeah, he, he, during that, that six-year period, he could pretty much do no wrong. And audiences were there because, I mean, look at him. He's yeah. And, and the, the thing that makes him so good is not only does he have these absolutely fantastic stunts in his movies and brilliant physical comedian but I mean there there's that whole sequence where he's got the boxcar in front of the yes. train and and he tries to get the boxcar out of the way and he's not paying attention he turns and he looks and he's got these the, the facial reaction shots which are just brilliantly funny oh my god yeah, that that he he is so understated and so perfectly timed with his face. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It's magnificent to watch. And I, I love how it's not um, half the time it wasn't wacky like like you know like cartoonish expression, but just kind of the sigh of. <sighs> Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the this uh, when the when he loses the boxcar when it goes off yes. and he looks <laughs> and it's gone and eventually he just lets out a little sigh like well. <laughs> well, I guess that's what it is. That's a thing and, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, with Keaton and Chaplin, they they both have a character that they play, you know, and mm-hmm. the the Tramp character is a bit different uh, than the the Keaton character. And the the Keaton character, he's got a different different name, but he he's essentially playing the same role as he's doing most of these movies. Mm-hmm. That same character, and that that was common. That was yeah. that was common that these actors would have you know Laurel and Hardy are another good example. They have a role that they, they they're they're the same two guys in different experiences. Mm-hmm. Sure. And Keaton I think is different in that not everything is set in the same time period, but it's still the same guy. So I don't yeah. know if you know yeah. some are descendants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he uh, he's always playing a character with a different name, but essentially the personality of that character is the Keaton. Is that Buster Keaton character, sure. and 
he he makes all these amazing movies and then you know suddenly he kind of the when talkies come in Keaton kind of well Keaton was all for it yeah because he had this beautiful baritone voice and he was really excited about using sound effects oh. yeah but by the time that rolled around that was when he was back into making shorts again and he wasn't the the studio darling and he sold off his rights sure and so he by the end of the 1930s if I remember the timing right he was an alcoholic and pretty much penniless yeah but he he recovered from alcoholism later and remarried and he he was I mean he didn't he didn't live a life of luxury and he continued to work up until the year he passed away like he was in uh, something funny happened on the way to the forum a funny thing happened a funny thing happened on the way to the forum uh, in 1966 and he passed away that same year but I mean, so he worked yeah, up he until worked, the end of but, his life, but but he wasn't. You, ne- you never really yeah. get that opportunity to see what Keaton would do with a sound film, mm-hmm. which again you get you get that with Chaplin. Chaplin, when he gets to the Great Dictator, he kind of embraces sound. Oh boy, the Great Dictator <laughs> is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and but but on the, I mean that's the sad thing about Keaton is certainly, and again. The, it's very challenging, I think, to introduce mm-hmm. people to silent film. It's like yeah. trying to get people to watch black and white film. I mean, I, I know people who are very anti-black and white. They're like, I just don't like black and white. Racist. Which is, and, yeah. Which is, which is a shame because there's a huge lexicon of films that is outside their realm mm-hmm. because they really... But, but we are so used to seeing films in color. We're so used to seeing films with sound that when it's not there... It is jarring. It doesn't make sense to a lot of people, and they can't get past that mental bias. Well, yeah, the, the lack of sound is this really weird abstraction when you think about it. Um, and uh, to, to kind of branch off of this, um, I find it interesting. Well, I'll backtrack. What we, just, what we here in this room just watched was the Kino restoration of mm-hmm. the general. Uh, Kino is right now doing these wonderful... Uh, Blu-ray restorations of all the Keaton movies and all the discs they're putting out are magnificent and um, this particular Blu-ray has three different soundtracks that you can play with it three different music soundtracks so there's like this full orchestral score that they commissioned Uh, there's the um one guy on an organ, which is the one we just watched. Which was the original score, which is why we chose to watch yeah. it. It's the original yeah. organ score. Yeah. And it, it it's... It, there's a whole weird tradition with music for silent movies in that some of them were released with actual scores that the piano player, the organ player in the theater would play along with the film. But a lot of times, um, no music instruction was given and the piano or organ player would wind up with this book with different pages like here's a villain's theme and here's uh, when Indians show up and here's and they watch the movie and just make it up as they go along it's like okay villains creeping around and dun 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 and and a lot of these weird music cues that we know today but we don't know where they come from come from that era in those weird cheat books that uh, so yeah, yeah. And when people think of silent yeah. film, they think you know it's silent, but they don't recognize it was necessarily unaccompanied. Most mm-hmm. silent films had accompaniment. 
Yeah. No matter the size of the theater, you know, if it's the big theaters, well, they might have a full orchestra for the premiere. Uh, sure. And mm-hmm. decent theaters would have a, an organist, and the tiny little small town theaters would have a piano player. But they had sound. Yeah. That was, even if it wasn't written, even if it wasn't officially scored, nobody expected that you were watching these movies in complete silence. They expected there was there was musical accompaniment, and there there is an art to scoring a silent movie. Um, when Tim and I uh, saw the General at Butnemathon many years ago, would have been it would have been two thousand two. Yes, because it was that, Return of the King. Two thousand three. Two thousand. That was my second year at Butnemathon. Yeah, and um, they got a live Dixieland band to play with the general. Nice. And that is the best score I've, I've ever heard with this oh music. My God, yeah. With this movie. And the 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 cherry on top of the Sunday to that whole experience was that final scene where the two armies are across the river from each other and they start firing at each other. Yeah. The drummer of that band somehow figured out the timing of the gunshots and he was playing the the drums nice. too. This, to the visuals of the guns, and that was that was just it was a beautiful moment. Oh and my goodness! The, the whole I made, I made audience was just sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. It's kind of well. it's kind know. of remarkable that there's this cottage industry that's com- that that's popping up where people want to show these old silent films yeah. and they get live musicians in and. And the live musicians, they most of them will write their own score mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. silent film, as as the piano players did in the original era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so that's Good. interesting. And and we're, we're actually gonna soon yes. be uh, watching a silent film with a live Yay. band. Yes. So that's um, gonna. And be a I great believe experience. this this episode will go up beforehand. So if you are free, in what's probably a few days now. On July twentieth, which is a which is a Sunday, Sunday night, we're gonna see Metropolis at the Trilon with a live band. Yay! So Yay. that's gonna be pretty awesome. Yeah. So that'll give sort of an idea of that. There's so it's really kind of a rich new tradition of of, and that's creating scores for these old silent films. I mean, the fact that this this disc that we watched had three options. Mm-hmm. And we, we just decided, well, let's watch it as it was written. Let's watch the original score mm-hmm. for the film. But the, the, every there's so many valid choices for how to score these movies. And I, um, it, I would just like to say as an old movie nerd that I am so happy that I can now get DVDs of beautiful silent movies with these lovely scores that were actually meant to go with the movies because... Back when I was picking up like public domain DVDs yeah. of old silent movies with really crappy transfers, where they just take random pieces of of classical music and loop them through through the yeah, entire course of the painful. movie. Oh, I hate, I hate it, hate it, hate it. Yeah, yeah. truly bad music can ruin a silent film. Yeah. You're almost better sure. watching it in silence than you are watching it with a bad score. Mm-hmm. And the different music can change the experience. Metropolis is an example of this. And I, I, I hate to... Because we're, we're going to be talking about this in our next episode. Oh, but yeah. still, 
there was this there was this version of Metropolis that was done in the eighties. This score for Metropolis was it? Gregorio Maroder did yeah. that, and it was uh, they they got a whole bunch of eighties bands. You know, like Pat Benatar did a song, and Freddie Mercury did a song, and it is. The stuff that Gregorio Moroder just did by himself actually works pretty well. There are some scenes that work really well, but there are some the scenes rest that of don't. it doesn't. And but it's the, kind of it's kind of amazing the difference that makes in the experience watching the film. Yeah, it's huge. Hmm. And the difference, say, watching the film with the original with the this film with the organ versus watching it with that live Dixieland band, where the Dixieland music makes so much sense mm-hmm. with what you're seeing on the screen and enhances the experience of seeing it on the screen more than the the organ score that we saw today. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a really good lesson in even if there's no dialogue, even if there are no sound effects, how much a difference a score can make in the mood you have when you're watching a film. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyway, I think we're getting just about to the point of final thoughts. So, Melissa, final thoughts Ooh. on the general or le général, if you are watching it in France and speaking really bad <laughs> French. Um, oh, I'm just, I'm just gonna say, I'm just gonna give Kino another plug. Those uh, Blu-rays of Buster Keaton's other work are just phenomenal. Um, there's one, and I, I think it's for three ages, but I'm not entirely sure, but one of the uh, 1920s Buster Keaton movies was actually ha- actually had an opening scene filmed in color. It was oh. like two-strip Technicolor that they painstakingly restored for, oh, nice. for, that, uh, for that Blu-ray release. And there's actually a featurette on the DVD of how they did it and what it first nice. looked like and what they went through to restore it. And, um, yeah, all of these Blu-ray sets are like two DVDs. There's tons of extras. They're awesome. And the films are beautiful. Very cool. Yeah. So... So if you are a Buster Keaton fan or would like to be a Buster Keaton fan, <laughs> yeah. uh, this is a good way to get a start. Jenna, final thoughts. Guyliner. Guyliner. Guyliner, yes. Buster Keaton had it and Chaplin yeah. had it. And yep. does, I, is, is that like a leftover thing from like actual clowning or is that... I, I think that was more... Uh, or is it a, I am distinguished, I am... I, it, it, I think it was more... For for the benefit of um, silent filmmaking, the okay. the film stocks that they were using weren't terribly sensitive, okay. so they were borrowing a bit from theater in that you can emphasize the eyes and, and bring out sure. motion in the eyes from a distance or through a grainy film print with a little extra eyeliner okay. on. Because it, yeah. it it seems like nobody else is wearing it. Well, the ladies. Yeah. Up, but uh, yeah, usually it's, it's like, usually it's something yeah. that's on the leads or the the characters sure. you're going to see a lot of. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I I think it, as that we one. watch as we watch more silent films and we definitely will I think you'll see that that's a fairly yeah consistent trope. Yeah, of, you will see it in Metropolis. I can assure you. Yeah. <laughs> so my I'm final. I'm so excited for Guyliner. My <laughs> final thought is uh, our next episode going to be recorded live at the Trilon as we mentioned on the twentieth. Of July, it is Fritz Lang's Metropolis, recorded with a live musical accompaniment. 
so we are very excited to see that. I hope that you're excited to come and see that as well. And uh, that will be our next episode. So if you miss watching it live, you will be able to listen to us talk about Metropolis on our next episode. Thank you to all of you who listen. We really appreciate it. This has been A Real Education, and we will catch you next time. All right. Bye! <laughs> we hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Dee, dee.